2: I've seen a lot of really violent films and even for this I was a bit like oh, bit much
3: <laughs> I hate it when people are wasted in films and it tends mm. to be women that are wasted in films mm. uh, Monica Bellucci in, in Spectre, wasted uh, Margot Robbie in this is wasted I, I think it's just that, you know, what's going on here?
0: There are so many subplots and like different things happening and things within things, like the question of, did Cliff Booth kill his wife? Mm. It's literally one scene in the film, but it has you think that the whole way through. I just think mm. that's really cleverly done.
3: Hey everybody, welcome to this episode of Flickswater Podcast. I'm Kobe, and today I'm joined by Meg. Hiya. Fran. Hello. Helen. Hello.
2: Hello, film fans. Welcome to this episode of Flix Watcher Podcast. Joining us today remotely, we have Meg and Fran. If you could please say hello to our listeners and tell them a little bit more about who you are and what you do, please.
1: Uh, Yeah, so I am Fran Tarowskis and I work on a couple of different podcasts, but my main one at the moment that I'm trying to get off the ground is called On the Outside, which is a panel show podcast that talks about what's happening in outdoor sports and outdoor news. So, fairly niche, but very interesting. Um, and I also write part time for Pod Bible magazine. So, I'm the digital editor over there. So, if you are ever in need of any podcast recommendations, head on over to Pod Bible.
3: Yeah, it's a very good magazine. And tell us a bit more about On the Outside. Why did you decide to make a podcast about being outside?
1: Uh, well people that uh, do outside sports do tend to love podcasts we listen to them a lot when we are in great pain walking very long distances and running very far and I really like the idea of speaking to people from different um, sports so outdoor sports is all kinds of different things I tend to just run and um, hike but I wanted to speak to people that were on different sports as well so the cycling and uh, paddleboarding and I've got a wheelchair cyclist and all of this kind of stuff so yeah we've got really really diverse panel just talking about what they find interesting in the sporting world or the outdoor sporting world
3: yeah and a focus on diversity and inclusion in the panel as well right
1: yeah that's it definitely it's uh diverse views on outdoors news is the official tagline so <laughs> Meg, who are you? Who am I? That's
0: a really good question. Um, <laughs> amongst other things, I am a freelance producer. I am a disability rights campaigner. I'm a journalist that writes about disability issues. I'm also sometimes kind of a model. So, yeah, I'm very much a journalist. sometimes
3: kind of a model? What does that
0: mean? <laughs> um, I'm technically a model. I've only had one job so far, so... It's in my Instagram bio, but I'm not getting a lot of work from it. So yeah, <laughs> that's what I mean by that. Um very much like a Jackville trades, master of none kind of person.
3: Yeah, we, we crossed paths um working on the on the Paralympics podcast. We did, um, yeah. over the over the summer. How how was that? For
0: you. That feels like so long ago, you know, it literally <laughs> feels like years ago, but it was only last year. That was so good. I really enjoy working with the whole team on that. It's, it's great. And the guests were amazing. I yeah. still can't believe like the level of people that we got on that show is sick.
1: Yeah.
3: Yeah, so that, the podcast is called Equal Two. And mm. sorry, there's too many guests I'm trying to think. Um, uh,
1: Tanny Gray Thompson. There you go. Yeah. Um, Jamila one of the, Jamil. Yeah.
3: Michael Johnson.
1: Yeah. Michael
3: Johnson. Guys, there's there's, there's all of them.
2: <laughs> yeah, literally. <laughs> all of them.
3: Every disabled person was on it. My favorite yes. my favorite person I hadn't met, heard of before was a lady called Harbin Gurma. In fact, there's two people Harbin Gurma, who is a deafblind mm. um, law graduate from harvard who was just like amazing and the guy called jim um he, he directed a he directed the documentary called crip camp which is on mm. netflix mm. um and i've been in, i've kept in touch with him because he's been teaching me about the grateful dead I'm, I'm disappointed i can't remember jim i'll get your name in a second but we're here today <laughs> to talk about other films uh which today is once upon a time in hollywood Meg, which is your choice? Can you tell us, first of all, why you chose it? And then I'll bring the countdown timer up and you'll have a minute to tell us oh, the synopsis. Oh, God.
0: Oh, I'm not good under pressure. Okay, we'll see how this goes. <laughs>
3: this is the fun of it. By the way, Great. let's just give you uh, a bench line. Myself and Helen are terrible at doing this ourselves. so okay, really.
0: <laughs> <cool>. <laughs> <laughs> so the bar is low, to be clear. The bar is low. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Great. Well, I, uh, I picked this film basically because I'm a massive Tarantino nerd I know it's quite divisive. I think somebody tweeted saying that already to us. Um, but I saw uh, I saw Reservoir Dogs at quite a young age, like a scarily young age, actually. I think my mum mentioned it was her favourite film, so I decided to watch it when I was about ten take from that one, you will a bit young Um and then ever since that I've loved all his films and I've seen the majority of them I've tried to get actually go and see in the cinema so yeah I think he is divisive but I just I think he's brilliant he's a bit of a knobhead but he
3: is
2: brilliant <laughs> put that on the poster Tarantino yeah. yeah
3: bit of a knobhead but he is brilliant he's yeah. got a book out he's done a, a dramatisation of, of yeah yeah uh, I think it's is it out now Hmm. someone nodded was it you Helen
2: it, it must be people have reviewed it so oh <laughs> too late It must exist late. somehow <clears throat> okay too
0: late for it to be a christmas present unfortunately
3: yeah and the 60 second countdown starts now
0: Okay, so What's Upon the Tower in Hollywood is set in nineteen sixty nine. Um, it features a wash-up TV actor called Jake Cahill. Um, he's kind of his career's pretty much gone downhill. He's not getting a lot of work. And he's got his best mate there, his name's Cliff something, can't remember now. Cliff Beats, that's it. I could see the clock kicking down. Um <laughs> and those are really a duo in the film. And then parallel to that you have the story of Sharon Tate. Um we are allowed spoilers for this, aren't we? Yeah. Um so if you know anything about the Manson family murders, you'll know the film does not end well for her. So, again, like in Glorious Bastards, it's kind of Tarantino retelling history and putting his own spin on it and basically making stuff up that never happened.
3: <sighs> awesome. Well <laughs> done. So Seconds to when...
2: spare as well. Great. <laughs> there we Just
3: to are. Just prove there was a timer. Um, so, Meg is a Tarantino nerd. I think Tarantino is the most frequented uh, director we've had on Flixwatcher.
2: Really? This will be yeah. film number five? Yeah. Am I counting?
3: So we, we haven't had um, the Hateful Eight, and we've not had the film that's based on Rum Punch, which Jackie Brown. Mm. Uh, but I think we've had everything else apart from that. We? Oh, volume two we haven't had. Fran, where do you stand on on Kill? Oh, sorry, on Kill Bill on oh, Tarantino? <laughs> <I'm tiring laughs>
1: um, for the most part, really, really like it. I haven't watched all of his stuff. Mm. Um, absolutely loved the Kill Bills. I actually watched Volume Two first. Oh, wow, and okay. then, like, watch volume one a few years later. I think it's just because that was the one my sister had. <laughs> and so <laughs> we watched that one. Access is, um,
3: you know, a, a big part of how you get into films. That's
1: it. <laughs> um, But, yeah, really, really do like his stuff. It's very, like, it, it. there's not very much like it. So you you know Tarantino films when you're watching them. Um, but, yeah, it's done some really, really interesting stuff that is just, like, visually incredible. So...
3: Yeah. yeah, I mean, we've, sorry. Also, Django Unchained is one that we haven't had on uh, yet, so there's still a few th- to um, pull in. Obviously, it depends on what Netflix has got to show for us. Helen, where are you on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, particularly?
2: So generally, I'm a ten- Tarantino fan, but this one, I, I really struggled with this one. Like more really? or so,
3: more or less than with Hateful Eight, I know that's when you weren't a fan of at all.
2: Uh, Well, I went to see Hateful Eight in the cinema. I didn't even bother to go and see this one in in the cinema. I think I definitely remember seeing the trailer and not understanding what it was about and uh, watched this towards the end of last year. I ended up doing this weird Brad Pitt double bill, watched Ad Astra and this, which are two very, very long films. And (laughs) I think I was not prepared for how boring I found this. I was like expecting a lot of things but I thought it was a bit boring and a bit long and there was a few other things which we'll probably come on to that have kind of niggled with me but yeah I was just like this is meant to be Tarantino like it's meant to be exciting and slick just like a lot of driving and <laughs> a, a lot of nothing. That's there familiar. is
0: quite a lot of driving to be fair.
3: Yeah how familiar are you guys about the, about the whole Manson family and the, and the Sharon Tate murders
1: so I have a funny story with this one because I watched it with my boyfriend and mm. I knew about it and he didn't but I didn't know that so by the end of the film he did just turn around to me and go what the hell happened there <laughs> um and I was like oh did you do you know about the Manson murders he's like no is so, that." That's a fairly key part of knowing (laughs) what's going on in in the story. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely, um, I think, gives a a lot more context. I think you do kind of have to know a little bit going in, otherwise... Yeah, so what did he confusing. think of the
2: ending, just out of interest? Did he, he think to... that was kind of how it happened and yeah. it was all groovy? Or,
1: or did, he, yeah. did he even know it
3: was based on a groovy. true story? Just before yeah,
1: he didn't even know it was based on a true story, so it was oh, okay. very much just a, what happened there, kind of right. <laughs> reaction. I
0: can, I can imagine if you know nothing about the Mountain Family murders, the um the ending must be really underwhelming. <laughs> <laughs> you must be like, wait, what? <laughs>
3: I, I wonder if he died <laughs> it's weird then do you think you need do you have to have that knowledge to go into a film to enjoy it did you enjoy it apart from that or was it just like and that's the end and that's the weirdest film I've ever seen why did you make me watch this from why
1: I mean it's not the weirdest film I've ever made him watch but um it, it was a definite kind of I think because it's very long as well so there's so mm. many different aspects to it that there's Bits from it that he enjoyed, but I think the overarching thing he just came out with a "What was the point of that film?" kind of <laughs> <laughs> reaction to fair it. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh,
3: has he seen um, *Inglourious Bastards*? Yes. Yeah. What,
1: what both was his like thoughts that on, one. on that? Yeah. I Sorry,
3: think... I want, in fact, I want, I want your thoughts, not your boyfriend's thoughts. Yeah. No. Um,
1: well, I think I was thinking about this because I, I, I did find this one a bit more maybe because it's a bit newer and because like is in the history of it is a bit newer. I did find mm. it very difficult to watch the ending where I haven't really found it difficult to watch any other gruesome Tarantino aspects and Inglorious Bastards. Like, yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's also rewriting history, but seemed like it was a bit more fantastical. Whereas mm. this one just seemed like it was, yeah, I didn't, I didn't quite, just didn't quite sit right with me, the ending for this one.
3: Um, What about
0: yourself, Meg? Yeah, I mean, we could get into the ethics of the ending. Um, Is it okay that, you know, he kind of rewrote something like the death of a woman and her baby and her friends? Probably not. Would I do it? No. And my Tarantino also no. So I think that's where I stand on it. He does he does have a shock factor in a lot of his films. So it does make sense to me that he would do that.
2: I think it it, it was just I just think it's a bit weird because people are gonna watch this and think that like she didn't die and it yeah. was all groovy. And yeah. think that was the truth and <laughs> It was, such, it was such a turning point. It was so horrific culture, what happened. Yeah. Mm, yeah. And it was such a turning point for, for Hollywood. Like filmmaking completely changed, people's attitudes changed. It mm. was such a massive moment for cinema. And I guess what Tarantino's saying is that by not having it happen, he's kind of like preserving the golden Hollywood thing. But the fact that it was just kind of this real moment and he's erasing it, it just kind of feels a bit weird. And also, I'd probably be a bit more on board with it if there was more agency to the Sharon Tate Sharon character Tate. in the film. Yeah. Because Margot Robbie, like, she's beautiful, she's gorgeous. That's kind of all she does, really, in the film. And it just feels a bit like, I don't know what the point of it was. And I'm, maybe there isn't a point. Maybe I'm just kind of, like, trying to overthink think it a bit. But And also like the Manson were really, really, really horrific and violent. Mm. And there's also really horrific violence at the end. And it's a bit like, so you decided not to go with the actual violence, but you went for this violence, which is also like really horrific and towards women as well. There's a couple of men in it, but it's actual like really horrific flamethrower violence and stabbing in the head and all kinds of stuff, which I've seen a lot of really violent films. And even for this, I was a bit like... Oh, bit much. <laughs> <laughs> bit much, you know. I've seen a lot. This was a bit much. But then it's kind of weird because it's also a little bit kind of cartoonish, because obviously, like mm. he's on acid and the dog is, and like the dog like starts getting involved and like they start punching the dog and I'm like, the dog can't die. And I'm thinking, why well, do I care about the dog more than the people? It was it was a very weird experience. I think. Yeah, I do. I will say, like, because
0: I've seen this film like three times I don't even care that it's three hours long I've seen it many times Uh, but the first time I saw it was in the cinema and at the end I was surprised there were no like end credits explaining what actually happened to Sharon Mm. Tate and all the mates and stuff I was quite surprised by that because I do feel like you do need the context to understand
3: I think the it's weird because it's it's recent history, but it's not certainly in the UK. I don't think it's something that's that's kind of taught,
1: mm. and I don't know how
3: mm. I learned about it in the first instance. But when I did, I was like, "Wait, what?" And then you, I've I've spent so much time. I read many books about Charantale, I've Seen many documentaries about. There's a recent one last year called "Hell to Skelter," a mm. documentary series which I watched, um, which is awesome. And it's it's weird. I don't want to say he belittles it, but it's. I'm not sure how many people, like like Fran's boyfriend, appreciate what happened then and what and what as Alan said. The turning point, it, it, the shadow it cast. A couple of problems I had with this film. or challenge I had with this film is, and this is the second time I watched it. I think first of all, it's, it's a lot better in the cinema. I think that the, the whole kind of atmosphere and everything's better in the cinema than it is at home. Um, and it's and it kind of falls on a lot of different vignettes. So it doesn't really it doesn't really have a story. And then the Sharon Tate not having a story within not really having a story is even even kind of less of a thing and it makes, I I think there's, I I hate it when people are wasted in films and it tends Mm. to be women that are wasted in films. Mm. Uh, Monica Bellucci in in Spectre wasted, Uh, Margot Robbie in this is wasted. I I think it's just that, you know, what's going on here? But apart from that, there are some vignettes which I find are really cool. Like when they go to, when Brad Pitt goes to Spawn Ranch Mm. and it's like a really kind of creepy, like what's going on here? And that, that in the cinema was like awesome. But then other vignettes are kind of less so. But yeah, were there any kind of parts of the, of the film which you could have stood out either positive or negatively for, for you guys?
1: For me, like you say, the, the, there's definitely kind of like aspects of it that you can take out and by themselves are really good. Mm. And I really love the, um, uh, see, seeing, um, I can't remember his name, but Leonardo DiCaprio's character... Being Jack Cahill, yeah, yeah, being kind of like the cowboy within the oldie TV yeah. stuff, so doing that kind of thing. Um, and I think I, I can't decide whether I love or hate the scene where he you basically get the whole scene of him within a cowboy bar and being yeah. like the evil person entering into the cowboy thing and throwing, and, the, throwing the girl onto the floor, yeah, yeah. And it's like you get a, a really long scene that is basically us watching them filming something but it's you don't see the film crew until Mm. quite a long time into the scene and I couldn't quite decide whether I loved that it was really long or whether (laughs) I was like it's like five minutes that's technically not the film at all it's just like a cowboy scene within the film so I think there's yeah aspects like that where I kind of like them but I feel like it's really long and maybe Tarantino just got a bit carried away with himself with some scenes where he's like, I'm enjoying it, we'll carry on.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think, see, that's what I really like about this film is the fact that there are so many subplots and, like, different things happening and things within things. Like, the whole, there's only a really tiny bit in the film, but, like, the question of, did Cliff Booth kill his wife mm. it's literally one scene <laughs> in the film but it has you of that the whole way through I just think that's really cleverly done
2: mm. yeah I felt a little bit uncomfortable with the Bruce Lee theme I felt it was maybe could be interpreted as being a little bit racist and also Zoe Bell oh cringe I mean she's an amazing stunt person but she's not an actress so that whole sequence with her and what she was wearing just felt completely out of the period. And so, it I just, just switches the
3: Zoe Bell scene just to with
2: Bruce Lee. So she's kind of the presumably the stunt coordinator on. She's the one who comes and shouts at them and says like, "What are you doing? You're crashing into the car or something." I can't remember. Okay. Um,
3: wasn't wasn't Zoe Bell um, the stunt double for Uma Thurman? Uma Thurman on on Kill oh. Bill one and two. Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. So she, she she worked with Tarantino, and she's in Death Proof as well. So she's been she's worked with Tarantino a lot, and she does a lot of stuff. Proof, that's
3: another one we haven't had on here.
2: Um, <laughs> but uh, in this, she's she's acting, and it, it's it. I found it a bit cringe. I don't want to like crap all over the whole film. I think the the strengths for me were that, you know, it was kind of fun seeing Brad and Leo being like buddies, and the mm. bits that were the the strongest bits where you kind of really felt like their bromance was like really genuine and you know when they were having fun together you, you really felt that so I guess I probably would have liked maybe it to be more more focused on that and a little bit leaner around that maybe without the the bits going off in tentacles
3: do you want to talk about anything else before we head to the scores? Meg, you want to talk about a bit about the about the sixties fashion and stuff like that?
0: Yes. (laughs) That's another reason why I love this film, because I just I think the fashion in it is amazing. Um also want to note that me and Fran both picked films that start in the same year. Did anyone else notice that? (laughs) What are the chances of everything on Netflix? We both pick films that start in 1969. Yes. Um, yeah. it's and I watch. Year. Yeah, uh, apparently. Um, and then, the, so I watch What's Upon the Time first, and then I watch Apollo 13. And because I've seen What's Upon the Time first, I was kind of judging the fashion in Apollo thirteen, be like, Well the fashion's not as good in this one, which obviously Apollo thirteen is not about the fashion at all. But yeah, that was just my mentality on it.
3: I think the, I, I I have I'm so bad tonally fashion wise. So it's one of the things that completely passes me by. Um I don't know, Fran and Helen, uh what are your thoughts on the on the on the era?
1: Yeah, I uh, to be honest with you, there's not many that is I'm sure I was like liking them when I was watching it, but there's nothing that I can think of right now that I was like, oh, that was an amazing outfit that I really loved. But um
3: so we had a trip to, we had a trip to the Playboy Mansion, didn't we?
2: Yeah, because <laughs> there's a scene in it where Roman Polanski is wearing like Austin Powers suit, mm. which presumably it was like obviously not obviously Austin Powers Austin Powers took that inspiration, but that possibly was where austin powers costume came from i don't know so that was very much like why is he dressed in austin powers It's very strange but i think the the costume design is excellent and i think the kind of like the sharon tate costume um Mm. i think possibly it was like her sister was kind of like approved it a lot and like it she even like gave margot robbie like her perfume and some jewelry to wear as well so there's i think it's very kind of authentic um to what and obviously she didn't wear shoes either so that's something they they kind of carried Mm. in so no 60s
3: there's a lot of foot action for tarantino
2: yeah i Um, was gonna say (laughs) i was sure that suited tarantino quite well
3: (laughs) okay guys well let's head to the scores
1: I'm Sam Clements, host of the 90 Minutes or Less Film Festival, another podcast in the Stripped Media family, a podcast that celebrates movies under 90 minutes long. Each episode, I'm joined by a special guest who selects a movie to join our prestigious lineup. Past guests have included fellow Stripped Media family members Martin and Sam from Song by Song and Kobe from Flixwatcher and Dave from The Wire Stripped. Search for us now on the app you're currently listening to this podcast or join us at 90minfilmfest.com.
2: Welcome to the Flixwatcher scores. All of the scores are out of five. You may have decimal places if you wish. And we will start with you, please, Meg, with your recommendability.
0: Oh, I'd give it a four. Uh,
3: any reason? Who, who wouldn't you recommend it to?
0: Anyone that doesn't like Tarantino, I'd give it a five otherwise. But if somebody <laughs> says... I did like Tarantino films. I'm not going to recommend this to them.
3: Sure. What what would be your gateway Tarantino film?
0: Oh, I think Where's For Our Dogs. Oh, okay.
3: Yeah. Because you watch, why not? You watch it when you're 10? <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's made for kids, basically. Um, And I think of all, this is going to sound really silly, but of all the Tarantino films, it's the least Tarantini. <laughs> I, yeah,
3: yeah, well, yeah, that's it. But it's interesting that because it's, it's Budget was less. We can I think the dialogue is there, but mm. in terms of a uh, show-offiness of um of production, then yeah, less so. Uh Fran, recommendability score.
1: Uh I'm gonna give it two point five, which I kind of feel like I'm that's a little bit low now. But because obviously if you don't like Tarantino, you're not gonna like it at all. But also that that thing of if I were to recommend a Tarantino film, there would definitely be other ones that I'd recommend. I think obviously if you haven't seen any, Kill Bills are uh, my favorite. Start with two. Uh,
3: <laughs> <laughs> Start with two, work back.
1: Work backwards. And, yeah, I think it's definitely not not kind of like the most recommendable. And because it's quite long as well, it's that thing of, well, if you've got plenty of time, you can watch this one. You have to have a bit of back information. And so you'd have to tick a few boxes before you could recommend it to someone. Helen?
2: Yeah, I, I really, really, really didn't get on with this one. And I, I, saw, I saw on Letterboxd that someone called this a boner for Hollywood nostalgia, which kind of like summed it up a little bit. I think if you wanted to see this, you probably would have seen it by now. But if you were kind of maybe a little bit on the fence and you liked Tarantino, but you hadn't seen this, then you should still probably see it. So you can at least have have an opinion because I, th- I think, I don't know. I, th- I thought the chat would be more in the love camp, but there is a lot of love for it out there. So it might mm. be that you love it. So I'm going to give it a three.
3: Yeah, go for, I'm going to go for three as well. I think it's a tough one. And I haven't seen Death Proof. I haven't seen Hateful Eight. So it's weird that there are Tarantino films which I love to bits, but I'm almost also just aware of where he can kind of just completely lose me. So I'll never watch Django Unchained again. I'm just not interested. Uh, but I'm, you know, I'm keen to watch Kill Bill and I'll, I'll watch In-, In Gross Bastards and uh, Pulp Fiction you know, at the drop of a hat. So it's a weird kind of director love-hate for me, I think. Um, repeat viewing score Meg you've seen this Three times I have um, yeah And
0: I'm for seeing, that reason I going to give um, you A
2: medal or something
0: <laughs> <laughs> I just like the film guys Okay we've all of got course, Different opinions Because <laughs> um, I've seen it Three times I'm going to have to give it Repeat viewing five
3: uh, Fran uh,
1: I'm going to give it A four Because if you've watched it Once you probably already Fairly like it and I have watched it twice now. Um, and the second time I definitely got bits out of it, which I didn't get the first time. So it's definitely one of those that because there's so much going on, you're gonna be missing bits the first time, I think. Um so yeah, I think
2: could could watch again. Helen. Very long. Two hours <laughs> forty-one minutes. I was I can't remember what what the other ones were. I know like port fiction, it's over two hours. I think Reservoir Dogs is kind of unusual in that it's It's only like an hour and a half or something, isn't it? It's a normal length, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It is quite long. Um, I had an opportunity to re-watch for this and I I didn't. Maybe if there's some kind of, I'd need a special reason, I think, to watch it. Maybe if there was some kind of like special screening event or something, maybe that would be the thing to get me to
3: watch it so a one one uh, I'm going to go for a three I, I will watch it again it's it's not going to be it's one of those films I think I'd put on and not really be paying attention to to stuff um, because if you miss that like one vignette then you'll just wait and then the next one will happen um, which you'll probably catch a bit more um, small screen score Meg
0: what does that mean
3: so how well do you think this works on a Netflix environment i.e. your TV uh, mm. versus does it work better in the cinema uh, yeah. It works better in the cinema than it's a, a lower small screen score.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna give it like a two. I agree with what you said. They're definitely better in the cinema for sure. Um I think as well because it is a long film and I personally don't mind long films, I do mm. like to see them in the cinema. Because when I'm at home, I can very easily pause and I can very easily look at my phone and do stuff like that. So when I'm watching a film that's over two and a half hours, I want to see it in the cinema, basically.
3: That leans into the engagement score in a bit. Uh, Fran, small screen score? Uh,
1: I'm going to give it a three because I've only seen it on the small screen. And I really really like the fact that you've got the... um, TV programme within mm. the film. So I think that fits really nicely on the small screen because you're watching the TV programme on the TV. Um, but I can see how the aspects, especially with the landscapes and and like you were talking about with the ranch and the, the many driving scenes yeah. um, would look good on a big screen. So I'd also like to see it on a big screen if I could. Helen.
2: I get the impression that if you said to Tarantino oh, I just like watching your films on the iPad. He'd like punch you or something. <laughs> <laughs> Feels like that kind of director, doesn't he? Um, I give it a three. It's, it, I think I probably would have got something more from it on, on seeing it at the cinema possibly. Um,
3: so yeah, a three. Yeah, I'm point 2.1 here. I think the some of the driving scenes are quite cool when they're in the big screen and... Because it seems to be super widescreen when you have it on an iPad or, or a TV or a TV screen. There's just so little of the actual visible space. But when it's, you know, the, the big, long stretch car and it's driving along, it's like, oh, this, this is quite cool. But at home, n- not so much. Engagement score, Meg?
0: Oh, i give it probably a three. There is a lot of driving scenes, but then there's
1: a lot of action. So yeah, three. Fran? I'm going to go with two.
2: <laughs> 'Cause
1: there's there's so many different places at which you can go that that's that's it. That's kind of like the end of a scene, that's the end of a little vignette and that kind of thing that you can just like pause it and either go away and do something or not come back to it.
2: So
3: <laughs> <laughs> Helen.
2: Um I could go down the middle, two and a half, pretty pretty much what Fran said. I think it is interesting because it it does really go from like absolutely nothing to like ramping it up or something really kind of pivotal happening. And I just yeah, I just didn't know. I was kind of like reading about who are these people like made up of, and I was like, oh, something's happening quick. I need to go back to it. So yeah, it's a funny one. This one it's very strange. It
3: is very strange. Yeah, yeah I'm going to go for I'm going to go for three because I think yeah, you have to you have to be paying attention because when the good bits are on, you want to make sure you, you're there and focus. And I think the, the Western shooting one was uh, good. Then you had the scene at Spawn Ranch. And I think you have to, to have the payoff, whether you like it or not, the uh, the violent ending, you have to be kind of semi-focused. Otherwise it's just the end you're just thinking, well, that was nonsense in the same way Fran's boyfriend did. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that gives us an overall score of 2.88125. Uh, it's definitely i don't know what the next lowest is but it's definitely our lowest uh, Tarantino film on here so, everyone who is listening, do follow us on their Twitter. We are at FlixwatcherPod. And one of the main reasons to follow us is because we put a little tweet out before we go into a recording saying something similar to We're recording Once Upon a Time in Hollywood with Meg, Roz, Foz, uh, and Frantic T from On the Outside Pod. Have you seen it? Tells your thoughts and the score out of five stars from on air shout out. uh We got one response today. Uh, Meg, do you want to read that response out? Yeah,
0: sure. So, this is from Stork. Hello, Stork, if you're listening at home. Um, <laughs> It says, probably my least favourite Tarantino film. Honestly, you don't get the love
2: for this one. Two stars.
3: Yeah. Kind of yeah.
2: matches the chat vibes, I think, so.
3: I think so. Two stars. We've got 2.88 here. Uh, Meg and Fran, can you sign off by telling us and the listeners where we can find you online so they can follow you and uh, listen to you, listen to more of you?
1: Yeah, so for myself, if you head to Twitter, I'm at Frantic tea. And um, that's a mixture of all all kinds of different things, outdoorsy, podcasty, random political chats. And for my podcast, if you head to ontheoutsidepodcast.co.uk and it's got links to all of the episodes and all of our social medias there as well. And Meg? Yeah, so you can
0: find me. I am at Meg Ross, fast at can I do that? <laughs> Of course you can. <laughs> um, yeah. So you can find me, I am at Meg double um on Instagram, Twitter, and now recently TikTok because I'm clinging to my youth.
3: <laughs> well, thank you very much, guys. Uh, thank you very much, Meg, for bringing Once Upon a Time and Hollywood to us and we'll see you later.
2: Thanks so much for coming on. Bye. 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 enjoyed this episode of flix watcher podcast why not leave us a five-star review on itunes you can also follow us at flix watcher pod on twitter and we're at flix watcher on instagram thanks as always to the mighty people for their mighty mighty tunes and ben from rockwood audio for his awesome editing skills if you're looking to get your podcast edited as sweet as this get in touch with ben and that's rockwood r-o-k-k-wood Audio, tell them Flixwash Watcher sent you. You just heard a stripped media production.